0: Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the associate editor of baseballtradevalues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we're a little over a month into the season. What do you think so far and how have you been?
1: Uh, I'm exhausted from coaching kid baseball, um, but I'm great. <laughs> and I'm glad we you know, we're gonna talk about a round of updates that we just did now that we are a month into the season, and you know, it's what you would expect in a sense. Not a lot of big movers, but we are going to talk about some risers and fallers that did surprise us. Like, oh, they move more than we thought they would, and why? So in that sense, I think we have a lot to talk about today.
0: Yeah, we have all of those updates to get through. Um, It's an interesting thing because obviously you don't want to be reacting too heavily to a small sample size. but And we'll talk about it specifically with some of the names here. But if it looks like there's either a legitimate skill change, or if the guy just can't get it going, looks completely lost, then... Yeah, it's going to have an impact of some sort on his trade value, and I mean, if it's a really established guy, it's easier to write it off as a month, but if it's one of these younger guys who still hasn't fully made a name for himself, and he just has not hit the ball for, you know, 100 plate appearances, then teams aren't going to be lining up to trade for that guy at the same rate that they were before, so I mean, it's, it's probably the, it might be one of the least informative updates we make throughout the season, because it is with just such a small sample of data and And in addition to that, there aren't many teams making trades right now, but it's still pretty notable, pretty meaningful. And there's there's some takeaways we can pull here. And, and, you know, some of these guys will turn it around and other ones will continue in whatever direction they're going right now throughout the season and meaningfully impact their trade value going forward. So,
1: yeah. And, you know, we've all noticed that the hitters are in aggregate off to a bit of a cold start and a lot of theories about the dead baseball and, you know, homers are down. And so, you know, the average, 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 if that's the thing, is really in the low twos, like what's going on there. There's not a whole lot of offense, but that's starting to pick up a little bit. I mean, there's always sort of, you know, cold weather issues in the month of April. So maybe that had something to do with it, but, you know, we're taking that all into account with hitters kind of on a bell curve and, you know, at your point, you know, established veteran hitters or after cold starts. There's a lot of those guys.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I think we should mention at the, at the gate here that one of our inputs uh, for, for our values for our model is expected weighted on base average, mm-hmm. uh, xwoba, woba And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, John, they, they might've done this updated this recently, but I believe the last time I checked that is still calibrated to the 2021 offensive environment. Mm-hmm. And so You'll see if you're just scrolling through baseball savant or anything, you're going to see a lot of hitters who are underperforming their expected stats. And that's because their expected stats don't they don't know about the new baseball and and the humidors and everything else. That's kind of limiting offense right now. Right. So I would say that there could be just a little bit more variance involved in uh, in our values. And obviously, that's not the it's not the entirety of the basis of our models. There are plenty of other inputs here that that work together and try to create a, a centralized number. Uh, but it is one of our inputs, and it might be a little bit more off than usual, so uh expect a slightly larger amount of variance, I would say a slightly more larger margin of error this time around
1: yeah, and the next update we do that's should normalize a little bit more with a larger sample size so uh and and to, to be fair, <laughs> if you look at it from a sort of longer term standpoint. It doesn't change that much. The average X is typically around 313. It varies from year to year, but like even if it's up a little bit relative to 2021, it'll probably normalize pretty close to that in the end. Yeah, for sure. All right, before we get too heavily
0: into that, we do have a few transactions to go through here. Uh, mostly pretty minor. We got we got a few more of those kind of 40-man filling in some holes, trades, and it seems like all of them were between the Mariners and Giants. <laughs> uh, Jerry DePoto and Farhan Zaidi have each other. I don't know. Is, is speed dial an outdated <laughs> term? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, yeah,
1: I'm sure they're just texting each other every morning. Yeah, they, they have okay, Slack open on their phones
0: just Alright, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'm just going to kind of roll through these here because none of them are too notable. We might stop on one or two just to for a brief note here and there, but uh, the Phillies traded Corey Oswalt reliever at $0.0, 0 million, to the Giants for cash, which we have estimated at $0. $0.1 million. Uh For all of these, the cash is just an estimate. We, we very rarely actually get the exact cash value in one of these 40-man trades. So uh, it's typically an estimate, and it's typically safe to assume that it's pretty low. And if it's randomly not, then that'll usually get reported. Yeah. Uh, then we have the Mariners sending Donovan Walton, utility player, to the Giants at $0 million in exchange for right-handed pitching prospect Prilander Baroa at $0. $0.4 million. We have the Mariners reacquiring, after they sent him to the Giants last <laughs> week, reacquiring Mike Ford at $0 million uh, from the Giants in exchange for cash. We have the Astros picking up Mauricio Dubon, another utility player, had him at $0. $0.6 million from the Giants in exchange for catching prospect I missed his first name. Mike. All right, gotcha. Catching prospect Mike Papierski at 0.1. We had to add him to the model for this one. And finally, we have the Giants um, acquiring Stuart Fairchild from the Mariners at 0.1 million. In exchange for Alex Blandino at zero million and cash estimated at zero point one. And I do want to correct myself here. I believe I switched around the teams in that uh, Corey Oswalt trade. It should be the Phillies acquiring Oswalt for cash. Uh, just want to make sure I have that right.
1: If I did mm-hmm. before.
0: Uh, so but yeah, was... do you have any takeaways from from these handful?
1: do you think it's the same amount of cash going from Seattle to San Francisco back? Wouldn't that be like great if it's like, Oh, just here's the $1 bill. No, here's the $1 bill. No, here's the $1 bill.
0: <laughs> I like to imagine it as, as like uh either, either they're keeping the cash in somebody's Venmo account or something. so They can just send it <laughs> back and forth real easy. Or maybe they're like canceling the check every time or, or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Ugh. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and to be, to be fair, I think, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think just from the league rules standpoint, there has to be something going back in each trade. So it can't just it can't be zero. It can't be nothing. Right. So, even if it's just a dollar, you know, that that will at least consummate the trade. So officially in the books, it could very well just be a dollar going back and forth.
0: Yeah, there's there's the floor and the ceiling on how much how much money can be changing hands. You can't like actually be paying a team. a a substantial amount to add a player and that's something that we see whether it's joking or or just not necessarily knowing how the system works um that's something we see occasionally pop up in the simulator either either it goes through and gets posted on the trade board somehow or somebody's doing it on twitter or whatever where they're like oh well we'll trade this this uh let's trade alec bohm and 20 million dollars to the athletics for frankie montas and it's like that's that that's not how that works (laughs) You you can't just straight up buy players right at that level there's there's it's and, and that's why you usually see the whole player to be named later or cash considerations wordage for some of these and i i i would be lying if i told you i knew the exact specifics the exact minutiae of how much cash can be traded and when and, and that kind of thing uh but but that's that's largely why that these are are low value cash trades it's more of a it's more of a roster situation than anything else it's shuffling guys around that hey we we cut him loose and we don't need him anymore and you guys want him take him and and give us you know a few thousand bucks or whatever or, or in some case a dollar
1: yeah i think the dubon one is is just slightly interesting because he had some value not too long ago, you know, when when the Giants first acquired him and he started playing he, he had a good start with them. And so at one point his his value given his years of control at that time was in the, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 somewhere in there. I can't remember. But, you know, not not cheap. And but steadily um, he hasn't been performing. He has as a result, hasn't been getting enough, as much playing time. The Giants seem to be souring on him. So, uh, and they seem to be shuffling around utility players. Okay, well Dubon's not hitting for us. Let's try this Fairchild guy. Or Bandino wasn't working. Let's try Fair- you know, they're trying to sort of shuffle through that that 26 man. It seems like uh, Dubon, I guess, uh, just wasn't cutting for him anymore. Because, I mean, they gave him up for a guy who looks like you know, frankly, org filler and this uh, prefersky doesn't seem to be on any prospect list. Doesn't seem to be much of a hitter, so you know that must mean they just wanted to make the transaction for roster reasons.
0: Yeah, and and Dubon used to be not a top top prospect, but he was a prospect of note. He was acquired in the uh, Drew Pomeranz deal from the Brewers a few years back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and I think that kind of <laughs> it's another example that speaks to the growth that we've made and that our our model has made. That he is down at zero point six when at one point he might st- at one point in our model's history back near the beginning he might have still be holding on to too much of his prospect value right now and he might might be in the 1s 2s 3s something like that and and this would look a lot stranger than it does and and make a lot less sense than it actually does mm-hmm. um, and then on the Astros end of it uh they have they signed Nico Gudrum this off season to be kind of their bench utility guy uh one of their bench utility guys i guess they still have Lefty Diaz around as well uh, but Gudrum has been kind of terrible and <laughs> Dubon could fill that role for them if if there's an injury or if they decide to cut cut loose uh cut ties with uh with Gudrum and yeah so so he's he's just depth he's nothing to get too crazy about and you know it's always a little bit you're always going to raise your eyebrows a little bit when a team like the Astros acquires a guy like this a guy who's still fairly young still might have something in the tank uh but it it's most likely depth and, and maybe insurance in case Gudrum continues down this way
1: yep so josh there is one other let's call it a half trade to to talk about which is um way back in the beginning of the winter um the rays traded reliever lewis head to the marlins for what was reported at time at that time to be a, a ptbnl um we found out this week a couple days ago that that ptbnl was uh a right-handed pitcher named josh roberson going back to the raise at the time that that trade was announced. I mean, we had Lewis had at 2.1, like, you know, I know he was sort of a, you know, further down on the depth chart reliever, but he was pretty good. His numbers, especially his, his advanced metrics looked, looked you know, very good. So, you know, he wasn't nothing. So I thought, okay, well, if they're only giving him away for a PTBNL, that's probably, you know, a little bit off, but it turns out Roberson is, you know, a little bit of a decent prospect. We have his value at 1.5. So 2.1 for when what the completion of this trade now looks like is 1.5. A little bit off with 0. 0.6, but it's a lot closer than your typical 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2 uh, BT bid. So, so in other words, we were pretty close on head to have a little bit of value because Roberson came back with some value as well. So that one worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to see things that kind of make themselves make sense I guess Mm -hmm. Um, and especially a team like the Rays and we know all about their constant roster shuffle and their constant bullpen shuffle and all of that and we've seen them you know take lesser value for guys like this because they got a guy they like and they're so confident in their evaluation and and they do it and it works because it's the Rays but uh, they're also just good at finding value where they can and so it makes it does make sense that you know, a player like Head who does have a little value, they're not actually giving them away for peanuts. They're, they're getting something back for them. So, yeah, this, that makes this one sit a little bit better with us. Exactly. Um, one note that I, I swear I hadn't seen this before we started talking. This is from about a half hour ago. The Astros activated utility player Mauricio Dubon and optioned Nico Goodrum to AAA. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Your theory is correct. <laughs> yes, I, I just had the idea a half hour after the Astros
2: happened.
0: <laughs> All right, so that's it for transactions this week. I do believe, um, I don't believe there were any super, incredibly significant um, injuries as far as trade values would go. Um, I do want to mention, actually, just briefly, that the Padres signed Robinson Cano. (laughs) So he was a roster victim uh, for for the Mets and and everybody across baseball, uh, cutting the rosters from 28 to 26 at the start of May. The Mets made the aggressive choice and rather than keeping the guy with the money hanging around clogging up their roster they said nope it's not working you're not performing and and he really just wasn't a good fit for their roster they have enough dh types already Uh, so they cut him loose and the padres once he cleared waivers once it was confirmed that the mets would be on the hook for the entirety of that contract they decided to take a flyer on him they added him straight to the big league roster and he's going to be some left-handed hitting depth for them and, and they need some offense so that's a, a, an interesting one. There's been a whole lot going on uh, the last or this season, I guess I should say. There's been a whole lot going on with regards to that uh, infamous Mets Mariners Cano Diaz Kelnick trade. And I mean, we just had uh, Justin Dunn was a part of that trade. We just had him sent to the Reds over the off season in exchange for Winker and Suarez in that deal. Uh, we've had Kelnick, who was just optioned down to AAA because he's been struggling again to start the year. Cano just cut loose, and, and suddenly, I don't... I, there's a lot of... A lot of the pundits are, are saying that, oh, now it's a win for the Mets. They knew all along, or, or whatever. That, that it's worked out so well for them. It's been perfect. I would absolutely not go that far.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Um, at the time... first First of all, at the time of the trade you had no idea that a that Kelnick was going to have these early struggles, but B you had no idea that Steve Cohen was going to buy the Mets. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so that Steve Cohen's Mets can cut Robinson Cano loose without really thinking too hard about it, you know, without, without worrying about how that money will just kind of hamstring the roster going forward, the the salary going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you didn't, Brody Van Wagenen didn't know Steve Cohen was around <laughs> at, at, at the time of the trade. So you can't really factor that into the trade itself. Plus, it's still so early in Jared Kelnick's career. He, he still has plenty of time to turn this around. We still have him at pretty significant trade value, despite his struggles and despite the option. Um, and, and I mean, Edwin Diaz, as great as he's been, he's still just a reliever. And so he's kind of, he's got a pretty hard cap on how valuable he can be. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, it it's fair to say that it hasn't shaked out the way that anybody expected it to, uh, but it's still far too early to call it a win or a Absol- loss for
1: anyone. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we knew Cano was going to be a sunk cost given his age and signs of decline and so on. Um, you know, but, you know, and Kellenick is, you know, a lot of prospects struggle when they first come up. Uh, there's, there's, You just go down the list of, you know, successful process. Jose Ramirez struggled when he first came up. It took him a couple of years to figure it out. There's a whole bunch of other ones, too. And he's only 22, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him. Um, so I wouldn't give up. So you can't really evaluate this trade until – I would say, three, four, maybe even five years down the road once you sort of shake out all the factors. And most people don't, all, and to your point, also don't look at the money that the Mets had to eat. That's a big factor, as you all know, as you're listening to it. It's, we're all about surplus value here, which means the money matters. So you can't just look at the player contributions. Um, I will also add one point. So with Cano uh, going to the Padres, you'll notice on our site that his value changed Uh, from like deeply negative into the you know minus 38 or something like that because the the Mets ate so much of that contract the Padres are only responsible for paying the league minimum and now that we're in a month into the season that means they're only going to pay him like 600k and he has a little bit of field value. Like he can still hit a little bit as a left-handed platoon bat or pinch hitter. So we have his field value at 0.8 and his salary is 0.6. So he's actually positive now at 0.2. Go figure. Uh, because the Mets are eating all the rest of the money. So it's you see why the Padres said, sure, we'll take a shot at it. So, so it's a good win for them. Yeah,
0: there's, there's very little risk here as long as they're not, you know, blocking somebody else and they really aren't and as long as they don't really have them clog up the roster and and I mean I don't think they have any intent to do that. Yep. I I do want to try and clarify something that I see a lot. Um there's there's always some debate about evaluating trades in general. And there's there's always whenever a trade comes through and people are complaining about it or or whatever, you're always going to see someone saying like Oh, well, we can't judge this trade until it's all done, <laughs> and our site kind of exists to judge the trades in the moment and i and it's it's there's room to do both so you can you can judge a trade like like our site does like the model does like we do on the podcast. You can judge it as it happens, and you can say based on how these players were valued based on their performance, based on their contracts. Expected surplus, their projections, etc. Based on how these players were valued at the time, did each team get the most for what they had? You know, did they taking that Mets trade, Mets Mariners trade, as an example? Did the Mets get the best return they could for that package of Kelnick and Dunn, and I believe there was one more name in there. Um, did did they get the best that they could get? And that's fair to make that assessment. Did they get the best they could get? Did it improve their roster in a meaningful way? Did it fit their needs? All of those questions are, are perfectly fine to ask in the moment. Uh, but but as far as, you know, closing the book on a trade and saying this team definitively won it from an on-field standpoint, that's where it's kind of, that's where you kind of have to wait until a little bit farther into the trade, uh, a little bit farther into the players' careers within the trade. And so it's, it's hard to make that distinction sometimes, um, between, between, you know, I'm evaluating the act. I I don't even know. I don't even know how to word it right now. Do you, do you have anything to help me out here, John? Yeah.
1: So, so, um, it's probably a good sort of segue to point out that we have this series called this trade in history, which does tend to look back at trades and say, okay, here's what they looked like at the time from evaluation standpoint. Here's probably what the teams were thinking. And then you know, a few years, hence, okay, here's how it turned out. Considering the field value on one hand and the money and is all part of it. Sometimes a prospect value, you know, is, is it keep, so this one had all of that it had high prospect value it had a reliever with multiple years of control who was really good it, it had money it had an age you know and, and bits pieces remember there were other pieces going to seattle at the time jay bruce was one of them there was a reliever as well like, to, to, to make the money sort of even so there was a lot of moving parts we should probably revisit it in one of those disheartened history pieces but you know my point is that sometimes those look fair on paper but they go south for one team other times you can evaluate them we did that with with the Chris Sale piece, where we said, okay, well, you know, it looks like the White Sox won that trade on paper, but Chris Sale won the World Series on Boston side, so, you know, they'd probably call it even. So you have to look at it from a number of lenses.
0: Yeah, I think I, I, think I figured out what I was looking for. It's about process versus results. There you go. You know, if, if you put in your eighth best reliever in a tie game with the bases loaded and nobody out, and he worms his way out of it, are Okay, he, he got the job done, and and that's good, but are we applauding the manager there? Are we saying, yes, he should put him in in that spot every time, because it worked that one time. You know, if you're the Mets, and you have a Jared Kelnick and a Justin Dunn, and, and even, it, let, let's say that this trade does work out for them, and, you know, Kelnick is a total flop, and maybe they extend Diaz even, and he's been pretty good for them since, like, since those struggles early on in his Mets tenure. Uh, but let's either, let's say this trade does work out for them in that regard. Does that mean that every time the Mets have a valuable prospect, they should be willing to trade him for a sunk cost and an elite reliever? I I very much do not think so, and I I don't think a lot of our listeners would believe so either. So it's it's that distinction of process versus result, and we can evaluate both, uh, but we can't. It, it's not fair to to only look at the results and completely ignore the process or use the results to validate bad
1: process. Right. All
0: right. I'm glad I, I'm glad I found my words for that one. It was, it was driving (laughs) me a little crazy right there. Okay. Okay. We're good on transactions now. Uh, Would you believe we have another Jim Bowden article to run through? (laughs) All right. So this one is not quite as long. This is Bowden five MLB trades. I'd like to see in May, including a Xander Bogart's deal. This is another article through the Athletic. I will link it in the show notes, and like it says, we have just five to get through here. And let's let's just jump right into it because <laughs> no reason to no reason to go through Jim Bowden's background. No reason to uh, put ourselves in the mindset here. I think we're all pretty familiar with it, and I think we all kind of know what to expect here.
1: Here we go. All right.
0: first deal: Blue Jays acquire first base DH Josh Bell from the Nationals in exchange for. Shortstop slash second baseman Leo Jimenez and right handed pitcher Trent Palmer. So I I at first glance, this is this is one of his less offensive proposals. And we'll get to the values in a minute. But just at first glance, just like kind of feeling it out, it's it I, I could see that he's probably overvaluing Josh Bell because he Josh Bell has been a non tender candidate, according to our model, for a few years now. He just obviously doesn't bring any defensive value. He's a very streaky hitter. Um, and, and he has these stretches where he just goes nuclear. And, and that's where he is right now. He At the time of this article, he had a 191 OPS plus and 1.3 B war. Uh, he was slashing 349, 444, 528, 4 homers, 21. Well, Jim Bowden cites RBIs. I, I don't care about those. But he He has these months where he just goes nuclear like this, and then he'll have months where he can't get a ball out of the infield. and so it, it's it's he he's the type of player that has a propensity to be a bit overvalued by by the common analyst. and that's that's what's happening here. Looking at the trade values on this one, we have Bell at zero point five million. We have him just a little bit above water, which is actually. Somewhat significant, since as I mentioned, we've had him as a non-tender candidate for a couple of years. He's been a little bit underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making pretty significant money. Let me pull that up right now. But uh, yeah, he's making he's owed eight point three million the rest of the way. And yeah, so it's on a not ten nothing. million
1: dollar contract, so that's the duration yeah. of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and in exchange, the Nationals would be receiving Jimenez at four point six million and Palmer at zero point four. So it's five million to point five million. So this one actually gets through the simulator as a moderate overpay. Uh, that doesn't mean I necessarily love it, that doesn't mean it necessarily makes sense, but I can at least squint and see it working where you either sub Jimenez out for someone smaller and and you maybe uh, throw in a few million dollars, head into the Blue Jays, the Nationals cover a bit of that contract to kind of buy a better prospect, and I mean, it's a decent fit, the, the Blue Jays need some left-handed offense, they've kind of struggled in that regard. And Bell has been kind of a popular name that everybody's trying to put on that team. I'm not exactly how it, sure how it would work defensively. They'd have to have mm-hmm. some moving parts there. But, I, I, like I said, this is one of his least offensive in a while, I, I would say.
1: Yeah, you know, to his credit, you know, we've seen, like, last summer at the trade deadline, Nelson Cruz was traded from the Twins to the Rays for two pitching prospects, one of whom has turned out so far pretty well. So, and that was in, you know, Cruz was making a decent amount of money at the time as well, obviously a big hitter and a DH type only. So, so I think there's some similarities. You could say, okay, well, at the deadline, sometimes sometimes can get crazy, but I also want to remind people, he said see, uh, the the article Bowden uh, wrote was, trades I'd like to see in May. So he's not talking about deadline, he's talking about May. So we have to go with the values as they are now, uh, with Bell earning a significant amount of money, and so, you know, this one's a little bit off, but, you know, like our our simulator says, it's not that crazy. Um, to your point about defensively, I think Bell would have to be a DH. Well, I mean, maybe you can play. question is who's the worst first baseman defensively, Bell or Guerrero. Um, but, you know, I would take Guerrero in that. Because Bell has not been good defensively at all in his career, so he'd probably be the DH. But then that, you know, I know they've been sort of circling through DHs in Toronto. Um, a lot of people think Teoscar Hernandez should be a DH, but he's improved a little bit in the field. So I don't. Know. They've got some similar types guy type of guys who are big hitters but not so good defensively. So maybe they just sort of trade off. I'm not totally sure either. I think your left-handed point though is probably the main reason for doing so. Anyway, it's not the craziest trade in the world.
0: Yeah, Alejandro Kirk, another name in that mix yeah, that yeah. should yeah. see some DH time, probably. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Nelson Cruz trade. I want to take a second. Sorry to interrupt this, but I want to take a second to take a quick sidebar here, quick tangent. Um, that Nelson Cruz trade was Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman to the Twins. And as you mentioned, Joe Ryan has been excellent so far for the Twins. And it was Cruz and a relief prospect to the Rays. And so that relief prospect just made his Major League debut this week. And I wanted to correct our pronunciation from the trade deadline on him. Because his last name is pronounced Foshay. It's Calvin Foshay, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pronou- It's spelled Foucher. And I'm pretty sure that's what we said. But it's pronounced Foshay. So he joins Colin Poche in that bullpen. (laughs) And and I saw a tweet suggesting the Rays trade for Garrett Crochet. There you go. (laughs) um, And one more quick pronunciation note that I meant to hit on either an episode episode or two ago. The infield prospect traded to, I guess not a prospect anymore, but the young infielder traded to the Rays in the Austin Meadows deal. Paredes, Mm -hmm. his first name is pronounced Isak. Okay. It's not Isaac Paredes. Isaac Paredes. So a couple couple corrections I I wanted to issue.
1: (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) All
0: right. So we've moved on past the Josh Bell trade. We're kind of okay. We see where he's coming from on that one, and we're about to take a step back. Uh, This one has the Rays acquiring right-handed pitcher Frankie Montas from the A's in exchange for right-handed pitcher Cole Wilcox and second baseman slash outfielder Vidal Brujan. And once again, you know, the fit isn't the worst we've talked about Frankie Montas we've talked about Frankie Montas to the Rays a lot Uh, it makes sense and he's obviously the best available pitcher on the market you know we can we can argue all day about whether Luis Castillo is available and he's had his own kind of rough start to the season Uh, but he's Frankie Montas is the best clearly available starting pitcher on the market even if he's had a couple rocky starts uh, so far in the early goings this season and Bruhan is clearly expendable for the rays and he's a guy that everybody tries to trade from them all right i get it i mean we can also debate whether he works for the a's or not uh <laughs> but the values on this one just just aren't there and, and bowden has been v- consistently very low on frankie montas in every proposal he's had for him it's it's we, we can talk about what why that is whether it's that he's not placing enough value on the second year of control whether he's dinging montas too much for the ped suspension and, and some of the injury history some of the inconsistency that that seems like it's all in the rear view mirror um but let's just go through the values and then i'll i'll get your take on what's happening here and and mm-hmm. all of that uh montas at 37.8 headed to the rays Bruhan 18.4 wilcox 4.9 headed to the a's so 23.3 total to the a's so this one just is not accepted uh, there's a gap here of 14.5 million, which is like a little less than a third of Montas's value. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there's a very clear gap here. It, it also seems like one of those situations where, you know, Wilcox was a bigger prospect before than he is now. Uh, some reason, uh, I think, I think <laughs> uh, Bowden's way off base on this one. In his little blurb, he. Describes Wilcox as one of the headliners in the trade that sent Blake, S- Blake Snell to San Diego. Um, if I remember correctly, that trade was very, very clearly headlined by Luis Patino. And mm-hmm. nobody else in the deal, even at the time, really came close on value. Right. Um, so I'm not quite sure where he's getting that one from. Uh, but I think, it, it to me, it looks like a case of him overvaluing Wilcox for some reason. And very clearly, once again, undervaluing Montas.
1: So the big issue I have with this one is that he cites... Wilcox's 2022 numbers, um, only if you look at the comments section, and I piped in as well, He, uh, Wilcox has been out with Tommy John surgery. Those were his 2021 numbers. So Jim is not doing his homework, and it pains me to say this, but Jim just typically does not do his homework. He misspelled the guy's name last month, and he's often wrong. And he's wrong again. He's citing facts that aren't there. So uh, Wilcox has been out. Uh, so that injury also sort of like played into his value a little bit is, you know, why he's now when he gets back from his injury, we'll see. Okay. And, and you know what? The A's have a history of trading for guys with TJS and they just did it recently. So that wouldn't scare them off necessarily. Um, but the values are still way off. Meanwhile, Bruhan. um you know, was recently called up by Tampa Bay. He's played in five games, still not hitting at the major league level. Uh, he's doing fine at AAA, but he can't quite find his groove yet at the at the major league level. That hasn't been enough of a sm- small sample size to ding him too much yet, but it is in the back of people's minds. It's not certainly certainly not helping. So there does need to be another piece here, and I will say Montas's value was sort of. Consistently sort of validated, but like it, it didn't it didn't really go down. It was like at 39, and now it's at 37.8 in our latest round. So, you know, I, I think that's that's important to note because uh, it's not like we were off. Um, so the A's are holding out, I think, for a better deal. This is one of them. Yep, definitely. And looking back at that Snell trade, I, w- I was right. It's
0: Patino at 43.6 at the time, mm-hmm. uh, second in that trade. Big jump down to catcher Blake Hunt at 7.8. Mm-hmm. Then you get Wilcox, who was at 5.4. But even the fourth name in this, Francisco Mejia, at 3.6, is definitely a more notable name. Um, and, and I think somebody like Bowden, who was probably still valuing Mejia as mm-hmm. highly as he was when he was originally traded to the Padres, um, at the time probably would have considered Mejia more of a headliner than Wilcox. So I that seems like some weird revisionist history mm-hmm. on, on Jim's part. I, I don't get it.
1: Yeah, he yeah, has to do that too, like it's stuck in time. Like, oh, he was yeah. a really
0: big prospect
1: yeah, in 2019, yes, but not now, Jim. <laughs> exactly.
0: Okay, next one is a name we haven't talked about really at all as a trade candidate, but given how the season has started, it's it's not outside of the realm of possibility right now. Uh, so the Card- he has the Cardinals acquiring shortstop Xander Bogarts from the Red Sox in exchange for second baseman slash third baseman Nolan Gorman. And Jim says this is contingent on St. Louis signing Bogarts to a long-term contract in the neighborhood of eight years, $216 um, yeah, you, you can, if you want to, John, you can go in a little bit on on that contract and what that might look like. But just at first glance, yeah, I mean, it seems inoffensive to me. I mean, Bogarts is a very good hitter. And, and maybe, uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head how old he is, uh, but maybe he's, yeah, he, he's going to be 30 uh, when he hits free agency or about to turn 30, so eight years, seven, eight years is probably right in the neighborhood, and he's a good hitter, but not a good defensive shortstop at all, so he's definitely not going to command as much as some of the other guys we've seen sign, so if anything, that's maybe a little high at first glance, but mm-hmm. th- that that's not necessarily what we're here to really criticize. Um, the deal itself, Bogart's for Gorman, isn't quite there. Uh, Bogarts at 18.3, Gorman at 32.4. Again, not accepted. That's just too big of a gap. 14.1. I don't hate the line of thinking, and it's it's always. I, I'd be interested to get your take on whether you think um, whether you think some of that value gap is bridged by the idea that it's contingent on on an extension or. Or if we're assuming that that extension is market value, so obviously doesn't add any surplus, and so we can't right. really uh, we can't really give them any any extra credit for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I it did not crunch the numbers for this one. I'm sorry, I just didn't care. <laughs> you know, because I don't. I'm just gonna go off the top of my head here. Sorry. Um, I don't see that being you know a sort of, sort of a team friendly extension uh, given Bogart's age and the way these things typically work is once you get in your 30s you start your decline. You know, and, and he's not a great defensive shortstop to begin with, which means you've got to factor him moving to a less defensive value position, probably second, which dings his value some more. So, you know, he's not going to get there's not going to be surplus on that. And so it should not be contingent now from a field value only standpoint, just set aside the money. Yeah, more years of control would be interesting to the Cardinals, but there's not going to I don't think there's, you know, I could I, crunch numbers, but I don't think that's going to matter. <clears throat> so I still think there would be a gap there. Um, you know, cause, and also historically, when you extend a guy this close to his, his opportunity to hit the market, you know, in this case, he can opt out and be a free agent. Um, they're typically getting market value, you know, um, even the Mookie Betts extension and the Frank Francisco Lindor extension those were market value like a lot of people think oh they're going to get sort of extra value out of that because they have him under control now he's in their roo- under the roof and that gives them a slight advantage it, it it there's no evidence whatsoever in history because the guy the player knows he can hit free agency and get market value and that's what he's holding out for and if he in in he's thinking okay well if you give me market value I'll stay but if you don't I'll go and so i think you know, Bogart's is in the same position he, he's close enough to opting out to hit free agency that he would say, okay, it'd be market value only. So he can't, so he, he has a voice in this, right? You can't just look at it from the Red Sox and Cardinals front office point of view, because when Bowden says contingent on them signing him, well, he's got to sign it himself. So he has to agree to that and he's not going to agree to that unless it's at least market value because he's so close. So my point is even if you look at it from that standpoint, there's not going to be any surplus, which means there's still going to be a gap in this trade value.
0: Yeah. And even just looking at it from a fit perspective, I mean, yeah, we, we've seen the Red Sox really slumping out of the gate here. Uh, we There was a report that he, they absolutely lowballed Bogarts on mm-hmm. an extension offer. Uh, they obviously just signed Trevor Story and he's playing second baseman for second base right now for them but he's very clearly a superior defender to Bogarts and so they have an option here if Bogarts does walk you just slide Story back to shortstop and then there you go he's you're set there for a few years at least and then on Cardinals end of things they just optioned Paul DeYoung to AAA he's been really struggling Edmundo Sosa doesn't really look like a starter either right now they're they're starting Brendan Donovan at shortstop who i Pretty sure was more of a corner infield coming up through the minors, corner infielder. Um, so that's something. And so you could say, okay, maybe, yeah. And I don't think it's I don't think it's too out of line to say if this continues, the Red Sox could consider consider trading Bogarts. And I don't think it's too out of line to say the Cardinals need a shortstop. But with the premium the Cardinals have placed on defense, they they have arguably the best defensive team in baseball right now. Just just superlative defenders at every position. Are they really going to take a glove like Bogarts as their shortstop? And I mean, I know it's just a couple months, but it just doesn't fit their team philosophy, it doesn't seem like. And I mean, yeah. you could you could also argue that the rest of the defense is good enough to make up for that. Um, and that that's probably a fair argument to make, but it just doesn't seem like something philosophically they'd be too interested in. Plus, they almost never trade their big prospects, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, although I do see the point that that Gorman is blocked. He's really a third baseman. He's not a second baseman. If you look at uh, Eric Longenhagen did a did a piece on on one of his updates, and he said <laughs> he looks frankly terrible at second base. He's a bat, yes. He, you know, you can sash him there if you wanted a bat in the lineup, but he's definitely not a second baseman defensively. Um, so, you know, that doesn't fit with the Cardinals' mo either. So, um, so you could see them wanting to trade him for something of value. Um, I'm just not sure this is the right, you know, uh, idea. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, we
0: got two more in this article, and this one's kind of weird. I, I at least respect Jim thinking a, lot, a little outside the box on this next one, but uh, you'll, you'll see it's not quite there either. Uh, Yankees acquire catcher MJ Melendez from Royals for outfielder Jason Dominguez and infielder Oswaldo Cabrera. So we're... He's... Jim Bowden does the thing that we've all been clowning on Yankees fans for, for a few years now, where it's just like, there's a guy we want. There's a guy who fits our position of need. We'll give you all the players we don't want and don't need. And you're going to agree to that deal. And this isn't quite as offensive as the whole Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar for Mike Trout type stuff that was going a couple of years back. But it's along the same lines where it just seems so short-sighted and, and like it he doesn't consider kansas city's plans really at all here um in a couple of different ways and it's just okay jason dominguez yeah he's got a big name he's so valuable but he's kind of off to a slow start to the year and he kind of wasn't that great last year either so maybe the yankees can trade him for, for something good and oswaldo cabrera yeah he's so valuable he's a good good middle infielder he's versatile everything yeah, but the Yankees have a few guys ahead of them, so they should they should probably trade. Like, that kind of thing. Like, these guys are both very superfluous to the Yankees. Uh, yeah. But they think that... The, and, and it's not always... Like, we were just talking about Nolan Gorman. Being superfluous to a team doesn't mean you have no value. Not at all. Mm-hmm. But it's a combination of, like, a willingness only to trade spare parts, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And also to overvalue those spare parts in the process. Yeah. And, and that's pretty consistent. Um, so I'm gonna quickly go through the values. Melendez at 37 would go to the Yankees. Cabrera at 7.6. Dominguez at 13.6. So 21.2 total would go to the Royals. Obviously a big gap there. Still not accepted. And even if it were accepted, I just don't think it makes any sense for Kansas City. They've they're clearly they're clearly showing that they want to speed up their competitive window, right? They want to accelerate it. They don't. I think they think they're better than they are at the big league level right now. And so, if that's the case, I don't think they want to be trading one of their top prospects who's knocking on the door of the major leagues. I believe he made his debut this season already. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want to be trading him for a complete project in Jason Dominguez, even if the values lined up. Plus, the argument that Jim makes here is that Melendez is blocked at catcher behind Salvador Perez because Perez is under team control through 2026. But that that's not as firm of a situation as something like Gorman. Where Gorman, you know, Gorman's stuck at third base is basically his position. I mean, I guess you could put him at first base, but that's really negatively impacting his value that he can bring to the team.
1: And they got Goldschmidt um, there.
0: Yeah, and they have Goldschmidt there. And, and he's Goldschmidt is a little bit older than mm-hmm. Arenado, who's blocking gorman at third base but still goldschmidt's going to be there another couple years at least and going to be starting at that position he's, he's earned that and arenado isn't going to be going anywhere for a while because even mm-hmm. if the bat steps off you assume he's going to remain a pretty solid third base defender and he's going to stay at that position for at least a few more years so there really isn't a spot for gorman at all there whereas melendez here we've already we're already starting to see salvador perez slow down a little bit i know he had such a loud offensive season last year but He so far isn't repeating it, and it didn't seem like the most sustainable thing anyway. He's 32, and he has so much mileage on him, on his knees especially, with just how many games he's caught in his career, how consistently he's been either in the lineup or behind the plate. And his defense has taken a pretty significant downturn. So it it doesn't seem like, I mean, the Royals have done weird things, but it shouldn't be in their plans to have him as their primary, their only catcher, for the next three or four years into his age 35 36 season that yeah. that's not ideal <laughs> so yeah so Melendez is, is a clean fit there you know they can share time Melendez has already been trying out some other positions and I, I haven't quite seen the the feedback on those how that stuff has gone but you know he's at least trying some versatility there and Perez can DH Perez can move to first base at some point they can they can make this work at catcher. At catcher, you can make timeshares like this work a lot easier than other positions because you're already looking at, what, a 70-30 split for even, you know, superstars get 70, 75, 80% of the starts max behind home plate. So I, I've i been rambling a lot, but it, it just there's, there's a lack of really... A lack of respect for Kansas City's plans and their
1: philosophies in, in this deal. Yeah, so... Carlos Santana's in his last year, and he looks like he's in his last year to be honest, so it's conceivable that you could move Salvador Perez to d h and have Melendez slot in as your regular catcher going forward um you know it's a small sample size for Melendez so far, but he is uh he has a ninety nine w r c plus in this environment with a three forty eight on base percentage, so it's not not bad you know um you know off to a okay start um and, you know, he's obviously a younger guy, he's only 23, so you can see, you know, he's got some life in him for a while as as a future catcher. But I want to talk the, about the Yankees uh, here for a second in this deal. First of all, Oswaldo Cabrera uh, is not one of their top prospects. He's sort of a mid-middling prospect, mid-tier prospect, but most of the evaluators that we follow kind of foresee him as a future utility guy. Like, he's not an impact starter. His value is at 7.8 um, to reflect the fact that he's got some surplus value, but, you know, probably a utility guy uh jason dominguez is really kind of the more interesting name here because he's obviously been hugely hyped and if you ask kind of the average yankee fan on twitter which you know there was there was a whole tweet going around would you trade dominguez and volpe for um soto and a lot of Yankee fans said no which is ridiculous for one soto three years of one soto you wouldn't give up Jason Dominguez and uh, and Volpe. Volpe's off to a slow start. Dominguez's stock has dropped. This is my point. Dominguez's dropped. Stock has dropped. If you're a Yankee fan and you haven't noticed this, you're not paying attention. He's dropped all the way down to 13 in our model because he was underperforming last year, which was kind of his first really big test. And yes, he was still young, but so were a lot of other people, and so and and he he did not impress. And he put on some you know, what they call negative weight, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying he's not muscle. Um, he's getting bigger and thicker and may not stick in center field. So you're probably looking at a quarter guy, even if he turns out he's striking out way too much, which is another reason why his value is going down. In other words, he's looking, you know, a lot of prospect valuation is the probability of success versus failure, of bust versus even if you do make it, you know, then the question becomes: Are you an impact player or a bench player or what have you? Um, so right now, the the needle is pointing more and more towards the bus category for Jason Dominguez, which is uh, which is why he's down to 13. Uh, he's been steadily steadily declining. He has shown some some signs of life a little bit. It's not terrible, but it's not good either. For the most part, the trend line is down, and other prospect evaluators have noticed this. So, my point is. This is if you're a Yankee fan, you need to wake up and say, This is this is not an untradable guy. If you're gonna trade him for somebody who may be likely to be more productive for six years than Melendez, that would be a great deal. You're certainly not trading him in, in a package for one soto. No. Um but you know, you gotta get real about this. So um this package is light uh, because Melendez looks like he's going to be a, a decent catcher for the for another 6 years and you know you're trading him for a po- probable bust and a and a probable utility guy so that's Kansas City would not, would say no on that basis yeah yeah i
0: i definitely agree
1: so just um just to put a, a fine point on so checking Jason Dominguez's stats right now after an underwhelming season last year Uh, at a ball he's repeating a ball again this year and he's hitting 233 with a non-base percentage of 276 and a 92 wrc plus so he's eight percent below average repeating a ball and striking out 35 percent of the time yankee fans you should not hesitate to trade him for one soda or anybody else frankly
0: yeah i mean i'm sympathetic to the argument that he's young and and you know he's you know, since they, uh, since all of the initial hype of the Martian and all of that stuff kind of laid died down, like this was always going, they're always going to be struggles. Like scouts always said that, you know, he's got some swing and miss and he's going to have to work through it kind of thing. And I'm sympathetic to that, but for him to have the trade value that a lot of people think he does, he needs to show something like he can't can't just (laughs) keep doing this. Yeah. He's got to show flashes of something. He's got to make some sort of improvement somewhere because right now it's 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 nothing nowhere <laughs> the uh yeah. it's funny actually the uh I, i'm not a basketball guy uh, really but i i think this is a, a very fitting little blurb here the prospects tldr on jason dominguez's fan graphs page describes mm-hmm. him as the zion williamson of baseball mm-hmm. and I, I i believe that's Again, not not a huge basketball guy, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's pretty apt. So good and, on. I'm assuming Eric Longenhagen wrote that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's old. So anyway, when you repeat the level and you're a year older, and you're a hyped prospect, you should see that WRC plus go through the roof. Instead, it's going down, <laughs> down, and you're striking out more than you did last year. This is not good, folks. And it's not a tiny sample. It's 123 plate appearances. Yeah,
0: it's, right. It's it's almost halfway to his his or it's more than halfway. Excuse me, to his uh, 2021 total at that level. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I mean, you mentioned you said, um, a, a little earlier that you know Yankees fans Jason Dominguez shouldn't be untradable. I would counter that maybe he is untradable in a different way. <laughs> he's He's the type of upside that a team like the Yankees might not want to give up on,
1: uh-huh.
0: but also a type of floor that another team might not want to give up significant players to risk.
1: Yeah, does right. that make sense? Which yeah. is why his value is down to thirteen because he's sort of like, okay, there's upside, but oh, there's so much risk, so they've they've canceled each other out in a sense. Yeah, it's the type of
0: uh, it's the type of thing where he might have larger. I mean, he does have, I, I should say, <laughs> larger error bars on either side of that value than a lot of prospects where there might be teams or evaluators that see him as a 30 and there might be teams or evaluators that see that value down at like four or five. And that makes a deal really difficult to come by. Right. All right. We have one last trade in this one and this one surprised me a bit, let's get into it and then we can talk about it. Uh, marlins acquire center fielder brian reynolds from pirates for outfielder jesus sanchez right-handed pitcher yuri perez and shortstop jose salas so out the gate here yuri perez is a name that everybody needs to know he is really skyrocketing right now he's a really impressive pitching prospect um he's he's 19 years old like just turned 19 and he's he's just been dominating he misses bats like crazy he he has a chance to make the big leagues this season and and kind of beyond that jose fernandez fast track um and just be really impressive i don't want to i don't want to get too far ahead of myself um right now on on uh fan graphs, he's a 50 future value so we're not talking just like absolute next big thing massive guy but he's he's a guy to watch for sure and so he, this isn't just the typical Brian Reynolds for three middling prospects deal that we've seen from Jim a lot of the time. Like Perez is a big name. Jesus Sanchez has had kind of an inconsistent start to the year. Uh, He he was really hot for a while. He's cooled off more recently uh, at the big league level, but he's also a former, he was a, he was consistently a top prospect. He was a top prospect with the Rays and then he was traded to the Marlins and like retained that prospect status, which you don't, sometimes you don't see Um, but he's a a big league ready outfielder and then i don't actually know much about salas so let me pull (laughs) him up uh great i just clicked on fernando salas's name that's not the right guy (laughs) yeah Uh, salas a 19 year old infielder 45 future value Uh, looks like there's not a lot of power there but some speed um, uh, some hit tool maybe but yeah uh, so this isn't as poor of a package as we've seen before and i think that's uh, that's that's worth noting. That's worth giving uh, Jim some credit for this. Uh, in it's addition to that, yeah. yeah, yeah. In addition to that, Reynolds is off to a bit of a slower start to the season,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and so that actually has brought his value down just a little bit in our most recent round of updates. Uh, this still isn't quite there though. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Marlins get Reynolds at seventy-two point three. The Pirates would get Sanchez at 22.6, Yuri Perez at 24.6, and Salas at 9.6, so 56.8 total. So this one actually does get through the model as a moderate uh, underpay by the Pirates, uh, but you'd think, you'd think that Reynolds isn't going for for much below his value. you think, if anything, there's going to be a bidding war for him because so many teams seem like they're interested and there just are so few um, really standout center fielders available right now. So
1: yeah. So the the downside of Yuri Perez, let's start there, is he is a teenager still, and pitching prospects have the highest bust risk of anybody, right? Because there's so many things that could go wrong. They could, you know, lose lose command, they could lose you know, um they could get injured and have Tommy John and never be the same again. They could have shoulder injuries, all kinds of injuries that could happen, especially when you're younger. There's uh you know, Sixto Sanchez was the big prize in the Real Muto trade and he may never pitch again. Um so there's just words of warning there. Um so be careful with Yuri Perez which is why he's even as impressive as he looks, why he's not higher uh, in value, because he's still kind of green and he's still young and there's still a lot of risk to counter the high upside. Uh Sanchez is a bit spotty, you know, he's he's had, you anyway, know, he was remember he was traded for Nick Anderson, which is was a bit of a surprise, but the Rays, you know, you have to sort of take that with a grain of salt. Doesn't mean they gave up on Sanchez, just they really wanted Nick Anderson and he was really great for them for a while. But Sanchez has started to figure it out to some degree and and he's getting there, but he's also still has some risk. Um, and Salas looks like a future. He's at 9.6. Another one of these guys It's probably a future utility guy. So it's not the worst package in the world, but my point is there's a lot of risk in it. And Reynolds, even though he's off to uh, a slowish start, um, he seems like a kite and with enough track record that he's going to um, command at least the price he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, we have him at, you know, we have him at 72 now. So um, this is not quite there. Unless the pirates say, wow, just it reminds me a little bit of the Chase Petty for Sonny Gray situation. If they love Yuri Perez so much and they value him higher than that, because of that upside then maybe I could see it working because uh, he's got such buzz um, and they ignore the risk. But the other thing about Pittsburgh is, Pittsburgh has a great farm already. They're They're in the top three of farms. They've got so much quantity and quality already that trading one for three more quantity guys, even though one's potentially a star and the other one's potentially a regular and the other one is potentially a utility. I'm not sure if they want that much Like The the curious thing about them, if they were to trade Reynolds, and I'm not sure they will, is we really need like a guy who's guaranteed to be an impact player. And we, given Yuri Perez's risk profile, he could very well turn into the next six Dos Sanchez and not be anything. So... I think they would want something a little bit more certain in that, you know, a guy closer to the majors, a, a guy at triple a AAA with a really high prospect ring to be like the number one sort of impact score to player coming back. I think that's what other teams will offer for Reynolds. And in this, and, and that's not quite here in this package.
0: Yeah. I'm with you there. It, it's just my takeaway here is that it's, it's somewhat reassuring to see Jim, moving in the right direction on this one especially it is yeah. with, with how long he's spent not doing so with, with frankie montas
1: yeah i mean at least he's not offering you know uh <clears throat> braxton garrett and jj Blade in this package you know like that that was the exactly. uh yeah right <laughs> it's what he would have so that was the in, Marte package. yeah right? yeah yeah right before yeah anyway um yeah so he's getting with it a little bit he's paying attention a little bit now Yeah. I think overall on this one,
0: uh, that's it for for his article there. Those are his five trades. And I think overall on this one, I don't know, I'm giving him a C maybe. We're
1: not bashing him as much as we would have. Yeah. 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 C plus, B minus, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, now
0: we have our updates. Um, How do you want to handle this, John? I'm thinking maybe we can... You can tackle the starting pitcher risers, then I'll do the hitter risers, then you can do the reliever risers, and then and then we can go into the fallers for all those positions. Does that, does that sound
1: good to you? Sounds good to me. Uh, do the good news first, and then we'll get to the bad news. And, okay. Yeah. All right. So take <laughs> right. it away
0: with the starting pitchers.
1: So the first one that surprised me anyway is Paul Blackburn. Like, what's going on with Paul Blackburn? This guy has been DFA'd back end starter, spot starter, nothing basically for years. And all of a sudden he's off to like a really good start. Like I haven't looked at it close enough to to see what the heck he's doing. He doesn't have like a velocity uptick as far as I can maybe he does a little bit, I don't know, but I don't know what he's doing differently. But he's up he basically went from zero to eight. Like he's actually and I picked him up in my fantasy league, thinking, "Oh, maybe this is something that's sustainable. I don't know yet it could just be a small sample blip, um, but his results are good enough, and his peripherals are good enough to say, hmm, there's something going on there, so I think from a trade value standpoint, there's always a market for decent starting pitching if he keeps up, you know, and the Yays are obviously a rebuilding team now. And he's got some years of control, so maybe they don't want to trade him. But he will have some value if they do want to trade him. He went from nothing to something, so good for him.
0: Um, yeah. So um, i I don't want to I don't want to butt in on everybody because then we'll be here all day. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do have a couple notes here on Blackburn. Okay. Um. He He isn't missing too many more bats. Uh. He did add or adjust I believe his, his curveball, and that's been pretty effective for him that's been a part of what's driving this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he does have an uptick in velocity he's up to mm-hmm. 92 uh last season he was averaging 90.8 so we yeah. definitely don't believe the, still hittable
1: 92 is still yeah, hittable. yeah
0: still hittable but but every every tick helps you know
1: Yeah, I guess
0: uh, definitely don't believe the 1.67 ERA uh, no. probably don't quite believe the 293 XERA either the 288 XFIP either of those uh, but he's keeping the ball in the park, and maybe that's a little bit easier to do this season than maybe in, than it's the ball, the seasons. dead ball. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: So I mean, so I wonder if guys like this um, are, are are seeing a benefit here from the dead ball, where you mm-hmm. know he he's been a good command guy his whole career, uh, but just clearly hasn't missed bats. But now that the ball's not traveling as far, that you know the same swings aren't quite getting it as as far, getting it into the gaps, getting it over the fence. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's more effective and maybe his, his style of game is more viable today. The, the pitch to contact kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And he's pitching in a very pitcher friendly park at home anyway, in the Coliseum, which tends yeah, to be uh, a, a decent
0: defense behind him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the Marine layer in April, there's always a uh, sort of some heaviness in the air, which keeps the balls in the park and the big center field, you know, like, uh, so maybe that will change us as, as the months go on. We'll see, but uh, he's worth keeping an eye on. Um, Another starter that's really caught a lot of people's eyes, Kyle Wright, who most people, including us, has sort of had sort of given up for dead, you know, was former top draft pick, former top prospect, but really struggled for a couple of years to the point where, you know, he'd been sent down, he'd been put to the bullpen, his value had gone down to the ones in our model, and then he found it he's started to find it this year and he's up to 16 because he's on a roll. And uh, I know there's been some articles written about him. Like something changed. He figured it out or they're just playing him to his strengths. I'm not sure what, but he's off to a great start and good for him. Okay. Um, last still. Well, okay. Um, for the, for the risers last starter, uh, it's not really a riser, but one as, as I referred to it earlier, Frankie Montes's value did not really go down much. It stayed like, you know, Typically, a, a, a starter in his position with two years of control, as that control starts to wane, you'll start to see the value go down. In a way, it, it's a positive because it didn't really go down. It went down like one point. Um, it means he's pitching well for the most part uh, because the passage of time should erode that value, but it really hasn't much. So he's still a solid 37.8. So um, So good for him. Oh, and Merrill Kelly is the last one, which is a bit of a surprise. I'm not sure this one is sustainable. And frankly, it hasn't gone up that much. It went from like three to seven in in our model because it's still kind of a small sample size. He does have a long track record of being kind of a middling sort of starter. Not terrible, but certainly not an ace, but he's pitching really really like a top rotation starter so far. Not sure what changed there. Um so we're we're he's slowly creeping up, but again you have sort of the passage of time issue there with him as well. So he's kind of going against that grain. And so that's why it didn't go up that much, but he's worth keeping an eye on. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. All all good notes there.
0: All right, my turn. On to the hitters now. Uh let's start with one that is on is is now one of our like highest ranked hitters in the model, kinda out of nowhere. It's Dalton Varsho. Uh, with the d-backs he's up to Mm -hmm. 72.3 uh previously he was at 47 so he already had some value but now he's really just going up and and i think the way john described it to me was that he's just hitting that sweet spot
2: Mm -hmm.
0: of his value where you know he's young he's cheap he's still got some of that former top prospect value like propping him up a little bit and he's performing at the big league level he's got a 128 wrc plus he's he's been primarily a center fielder for the d-backs he's 25 starts or games i should say 25 games played at center nine games at catcher just a really interesting skill set that makes him pretty valuable some pretty good versatility there but he's been hitting well he's rated well defensively he's kind of doing everything he's got some speed he's got some power and, and he hasn't turned 26 yet he's very cheap so very fun player. I don't know if he has much more room to grow from here. I don't anticipate him getting into the triple digits or anything like that, but it's, it's nice for a guy that kind of fell off the prospect radar for just a little bit. The D back stuck with him and and now he's a very, very
1: valuable player. So, Um, you know, if you look at his F4, he was two point, worth 2.2 F4 last year, and he's got 1.5 so far this year, and Steamer projection for another tour. That's 3.7 F. So he's definitely stepped it up overall. And you noted that he plays center field and catcher, which is really an odd combination, but those are two very highly de- valued defensive positions, and so that helps. And couple that with the fact that he's above average hitter with a 128 wrc plus a 360 x woba which matters um you know there's there's just you know he's he's above average in in many different ways and then the fact that he's still in the sweet spot from his model from his uh, salary point of view he hasn't hit arb yet so like he's cheap in salary terms which gives him a lot of surplus so it's like everything positive is going on in a circle here
0: absolutely yeah Another guy that everything is going well for is Eric Hosmer. So he's, uh, we talked about him last episode, I believe. He's up to, <laughs> he's up to negative thirty-five point one, which is significant. He was <laughs> a negative fifty point seven before, so mm-hmm. he's not quite as underwater as he used to be. And mm-hmm. if he keeps this up, that'll continue in that direction. I don't know if anybody expects him to keep this up. Uh, right now he has a one seventy-three WRC plus. He's already up to one point five F four. This is a case where Steamer doesn't quite believe it and all all the projection systems i should say that that are listed here on FanGraphs, they don't quite believe it as much as they do for a guy like Varsho, and for good reason osmer has a track record of mediocrity the last few years i don't don't blame them uh but they project a steamer specifically projects a 106 wrc plus and 0.8 f4 the rest of the way which would still be all things considered a a massive win to get you know two and a half wins or so out of osmer at this point in his career so that would still be a big win for the padres but you know if he somehow does keep this up then that both of those numbers will continue to tick up and and so will his trade value right now he's looking a lot more tradable but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a catch 22 a double-edged sword whatever metaphor you want to use (laughs) where the better he looks the less they'll want to trade him so even if they maybe (laughs) can get out from that contract a little easier right now he's supporting their offense he's he's the big left-handed bat they've needed he's like I said 173 wrc plus just insane
1: yeah i i maybe it's bob melvin i don't know cuz bob melvin apparently talked to him and gave him some confidence and patted him on with the back said okay you're my guy and he said okay all right and maybe that change mattered um it's i don't know um you know he has been kind of up and down in his career so the you would think that there would be a regression to his mean here because he is an older guy he's got a track record of sort of you know, sliding back down into his trend line. So, you know, like you said, all the projection system would 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 and reasonable people would think so as well. But he's just out of his mind right now. Um, so uh, it, it puts him in an odd position. OK, we'll keep him and we'll eat the money, which is why they're trying to get rid of uh, the Nelson LeMet, who's making four million. So, like, uh, who else can we get rid of to save some money? Maybe we shouldn't get rid of Hosmer. Let's get rid of that guy instead. So um, they're they're fooling around with that stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: created an interesting situation. I don't think anybody saw this one coming. Yeah. All right, next we're going to stay in San Diego with Haseon Kim. He's up to negative 3.9, which doesn't sound too impressive, but previously he was at negative 16.1. That's a pretty big jump. He was pretty far underwater. He's owed another $28 million on his contract, and it was looking almost entirely underwater for a bit there. But after a really rough rookie season last year, he's looks like he's starting to put it together he's you know he's only hitting 213 327 416 but given the offensive environment that's a 118 wrc plus and he's up to 0.9 f WAR, and steamer projects him for another 1.2 his ex-woba is even better than his woba by a good margin he's only got a 231 BABIP, so there's a lot to like here he's only 26 he's a versatile player he's a good defender and he has the pedigree he was a very good hitter in in Korea and he still hasn't quite tapped into all that power here. And if he does, that could be kind of scary. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's been very good. Uh, I don't want to say very good. He's been playing much more in line with the contract this year, uh, maybe outperforming it just a little bit. And if he keeps this up, he will continue and and get into the positive territory.
1: And, you know, it seems like there's there was a um, kind of a blessing in disguise with Tatis being out, gave him the opportunity to kind of settle in because he wasn't really... He didn't have a role before. You know, he was like, oh, we'll throw you in a second base in the later earnings. Oh, you know, or like really... You know, he was just bouncing all over the place as a utility guy before. And he never really got into a groove. And maybe now that he's had a season under his belt and he's got regular playing time, and he's the guy, and he's stepping up because they need him to, because Tatis is out. So good for him. He's... he's he's they They rang, they rang him up and he's doing it. So great. Yeah, definitely. All right. Another guy that... Another younger
0: guy who's who's really seeing a boost is Ryan Jeffers, catcher with the Twins. He's up to twenty eight point four from nineteen point two before. Uh, he's just he's a good defender. He's hitting uh, right now. He's hitting about league average, one hundred three WRC plus, but a good defender. And it really just goes to show why the Twins were comfortable trading Mitch Garver and Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> this off season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so he's been their primary catcher. Gary Sanchez gets in there every now and then, but they definitely don't want don't want too much sanchez behind the plate the way he's been playing the way his career has kind of turned out here but yeah jeffers is a quality young hitter again this is another one where i'm not seeing a ton of ceiling beyond this he can maybe go up a bit more if he gets that his batting line up a little bit if he gets into the 110 120 wrc plus range i could honestly i could potentially see a bat similar to mitch garver's here just jeffers strikes out a little bit more, and, and so he's going to be held back by that a little bit. But there's power there. There's some plate discipline, uh, some walks, I should say. Uh, and and like I said, very, very good glove. So yeah, uh, a good player for them to have and a player they should be comfortable starting behind the dish
1: every day. Absolutely. And, you know, the Twins don't get a lot of press, you know, or attention, you know, outside of Minnesota. And so, like, a lot of people go, who, what? And So that might surprise a little bit, but good for him. He's been on the radar for a while, so it's good to see him put it together.
0: Mm-hmm. Up next is Ty France. He's another one we talked about before. I do not have his previous value up here, but his current value, 35.1. is definitely higher than it used to be.
1: He was in the 20s.
0: Um, yeah. 20s. That's what I thought. Yeah. So up to 35.1. I believe he's cooled off just a little bit from from where he was, but that's just because he was he was nuclear before. <laughs> right now he's hitting 328, 401, 470, a 167 WRC+, 1.4 F4. Just a really good hitter. He's walking almost as much as he strikes out and he's cut down his strikeout rate really significantly so that's an interesting sign to look for and obviously a very positive sign and he was already a really good hitter last year i think he went pretty under the radar he had a 129 wrc plus you know he's he's not a great defender but if you're gonna hit like that you'll find a spot for the guy so he's a fun one and he was in that uh he was kind of an afterthought in the big, weird Austin Nola mm-hmm. trade mm-hmm. to the Padres a few years back. It was Austin Nola, mm-hmm. and Taylor Trammell was kind of the biggest name coming back to Seattle in that, and so there were, there were a lot of eyes on him, and he hasn't quite panned out. But France, very quietly, just looks like a pure hitter, like a really good pure hitter, and, and it's fun to watch.
1: Yeah, he I, I can't figure out why he doesn't get a lot of love. He's starting to now. People are noticing now. But, yeah, you like, how in the world did, you know, they get him for Asanova, who's really, like, you know, he was a journeyman, then he had a hot streak, then they gave up way too much to get him, thinking he was going to continue the hot streak, but he cooled off, got injured, he cooled off. So, like, there's not much... You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of value now. And the guys they traded for—you forgot Andres Munoz, who was injured at the time. He's, he's all talking about him in the relievers, but man, that's a guy with a hundred mile fastball and control, and he's looking dominant. So, like, Seattle got a haul for a journeyman thirty-year-old catcher. You know, and that's an amazing de- deal for uh, for Jerry Depoto. Yes, definitely. I, I can't
0: believe I forgot Munoz. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all right, I
0: have two more here. First, Aaron Judge, this one's not going to look too significant. It's a bump from 35.4 to 38.9, but that's more substantial than it looks like because he is on the last year of his deal here. Mm -hmm. And so theoretically, that value, that 35.4 should have decreased by one-sixth because we're one-sixth of the way through the season. So Mm -hmm. that should have gone down to, you know, just eyeballing it somewhere in the 28, 29, 30 range, but instead it went up. So, mm-hmm. basically, he's ten million above where he would have been if he was just playing exactly to the projections,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's impressive. He he's making an MVP an early MVP case here, and I know there's a couple other guys. I know Trout is Trout, and I, mm-hmm. I love that Trout is Trout again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Judge is hitting three oh six, three eighty six fifty three slug. He has twelve homers. Mm-hmm. He's a four sixty seven x woba, a two oh three wrc plus, mm-hmm. and weirdly defense hasn't graded out quite as well as it usually does so if and it's obviously very early early season defensive metrics are notoriously wonky high variance mm-hmm. um if that kind of comes back together too it's, it's just gonna it's just gonna keep looking good for him and i this is about the best case scenario for judge right now to have turned down that extension that that we kind of thought was in line <laughs> like it, well was after
1: after this year it was in line but this year there was yeah, too yeah, much yeah. surplus which was what yeah. so and now he's making the case that hey you should be you should have paid me more you should have covered the mm-hmm. surplus for this year then i would have taken the deal so exactly yeah but yeah it's looking good for him looking rough for the yankees they might just have
0: to back up the yeah the the brinks <laughs> truck and, and pay the guy after the year because That's right. you do not want to lose a hitter like this mm-hmm Last one I have is another star player who's really just playing out of his mind right now, and that's Manny Machado. I guess we're going back to San Diego here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he's at fifty point five, and previously, is this? I'm, oh, we don't we don't have any <laughs> recent trades with him on record because we had um, we had him uh we still have his availability
1: is none yeah
0: he has no trade clause he's on a big contract whatever
1: but he was underwater before i do believe he was close to fair for a while he was underwater in a previous year and then he was pretty close to fair because he had a pretty decent year last year Mm -hmm. and but but yeah because of the compounding effect of the big contract yeah i'm jumping ahead but go ahead no no you're
0: good uh now he's up to 50.5 so Mm. huge jump Slash line is 359, 439, 586, 190 WRC plus with really good defense at third base. That'll that'll play. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, he's, he's he's playing above his 30 million dollar AAV, which is hard to do and not sustainable for the entirety of a contract. But right now, he's he's making his money's worth. He's he's, he's
1: and then some, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. so when you're on a fixed contract and performance jumps. Uh, you know that's going to have a compounding effect over time because the models are going to say, oh wow, he's kind of his trend line has jumped up. You know even though it's a small sample size, but compi- like I said, you know, combined with a previous good year, you know that's going to mean that his projections are going to go higher, which means he's going to be above his line which means he's compounded over the years left in the deal he's going to have some surplus the opposite is true as well if you're if you're having a bad year on top of a bad first month on top of a maybe a disappointing last year things are going to go down and because that fixed line doesn't move as much and the performance does you're going to see the compounding effect go south so it can vary quite a bit with these guys on big contracts but right now it's up for him
0: yeah absolutely all right, are you ready to head on to the relievers?
1: So relievers, yes. Um, I'm going to caveat it by saying relievers are volatile, as everyone knows. And so some of them take jumps. Some of them have really good months and you never hear from them again. That's just the reliever world. It's the wacky, wild world of relievers. Uh, having said that, I'm going to start with a guy who's been very consistent. That's David Bednar of the Pirates. He went from, I think, 22 to 28.1. And that seems high for reliever, but he has been dominant, you know, Uh, Teams looking for a closer will be calling Pittsburgh uh, because he looks great. Um, Really hasn't had any bad outings and he's been doing it for a while now and he's still young and, he has the, He's just got the world ahead of him, and but the pirates control him through 2026, 20, so there's no reason for them to trade him, which is another reason why his value is high. Um, but, you know, if they get offered the moon for him, I am for reliever, yeah, sure. And also, by the way, he was part of that Musgrove trade, which looked light to us at the time. And now if you re, sort of recalculate it or maybe think Mednar was going to turn into what he's turned into – you're like, oh, okay, it actually was fair because Bednar turned into a monster. So <laughs> who knew at the time? I mean, he was a pretty low-level reliever at the time. Uh, but, yeah, good for them. Um, do we need
0: to talk about the Pirates pitching development in the bullpen? We
1: do. I, <laughs> I was going to mention because the next two guys, Will Crow, failed starter, converted to reliever, suddenly jumping. Well, not too much yet because it's a small sample size. But he went from negative to a positive 1.9. Dylan Peters, journeyman failed starter, you know, uh, for multiple teams. He was in the Angels for a while, whatever. He's jumped up to two point eight because he's now being used as a reliever, and his stuff is playing up. And they have it. And Chris Stratton did. They did the same thing with Stratton, who uh, failed starter converted to reliever. He's pretty decent. They have a thing going on there. I don't know what it is, but they're doing a great job developing relievers.
0: Hey, we said something nice about the Pirates. I think we've, we've hit our quota. Here, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, all right. So Pirates uh, doing their thing. Um, the Rays have turned Jeffrey Springs into something. He had negative value before. And now he's up to positive 0. 0.7. Not much. Small sample size, but he's looking good. Michael King and the Yankees. Everyone's talking about him in New York because he looks great. Uh, he's up to, I think, nine something. Um, Trevor Steffen, uh journeyman guy, the Cleveland, speaking of pitching machines, uh, the Cleveland pitching machine has turned him into something, and he's at 2.1. Brock Burke, another failed starter, Texas Rangers, is up to 7.6. I have my notes right. Um, uh, Victor Arano, um, uh a fan just pointed out to me, um, he was – I think, injured for a while and I, you know, had not played for a while. So he was a zero, and he's up to 3.1. I'm trying to remember which team he's playing for now. But he's having he's off to a really good start uh, this year. Hang on, let me get that. Uh, Victor Aranya, where are you? Uh, nationals nationals thank you uh the nationals have something there with him and i would be remiss uh, i mentioned andres muñoz he's finally healthy uh he was kind of the secret weapon in that deal as i mentioned he's up to 10 i believe uh for the mariners he's a dominant looking like their next closer um he's thrown 100 he's got control and he's healthy and finally uh there have been articles written about Ryan Housley of the Cardinals. He's up to 7.5 and is 103 mile per hour fastball. Now they're not pitching him, uh, every day or even every other day they're they're because he he's so he throws so hard i think they're giving him extra rest so it's like a quality 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 and it's not not so much quantity thing so you have to be careful with the innings pitch there but you know he has been just lights out his numbers are just ridiculous nuclear numbers um so um good for helsley and um last but not least i would say uh, josh Hader is another one where He's getting closer and closer to free agency. He's less than two years of control left. So he was in the 20s. You would think it would have gone down to the teens, but instead he went up to 29 because he's again doing amazing work and even better than before. So uh, Josh Hader is once again looking like one of the best, if not the best, closer in baseball. One note on Andres Munoz,
0: he's on a fixed contract.
1: Oh, right. They extended a, him. Yes.
0: Yeah. A very affordable extension. Yes. And that helps. I would, I would, would, Yeah, it definitely helps. I would say to, to not not get too ahead of ourselves with it because, you know, relievers. They're, they're just so volatile. You mm-hmm. look back at Sean Doolittle as the one who comes to mind. He signed a very affordable extension as well early in his career, and then he looked like he was hitting another level, and I think it was 2014 that he was just untouchable mm-hmm. and then injuries took hold and yeah but still, they traded him for had, a really good yeah. package right while he yeah. was valuable yeah. that's my point he still had some trade value <laughs> yeah for sure because he was on such an affordable deal and even mm-hmm. if he was not the best reliever in baseball still some value there for sure still mm-hmm. some surplus and like you say they got a really good deal back for him mm-hmm. that was the jesus lazardo sheldon yep. noisy yep uh blake Trinan deal that's right um but just a just there there's a reason that guys like Munoz and other relievers are willing to take those smaller deals and it's because, you know, there is so much volatility there and especially a guy like Munoz who just lights up the radar gun, you know, at any mm. at any time it could it could fall apart. And I'm pretty sure he didn't he just have Tommy John or, or some other significant he did, uh, yeah. injury recently. Mm. Yeah. So there there's always some some risk there and so I'm not going to say that he he did himself wrong by agreeing to such an affordable deal, but just that there's really no risk involved for the Mariners, uh, and, and it can only really go up from here, I guess.
1: That's right, and we build that into our model. We know relievers are volatile. We know the trend line is largely down based on historical you know data that clearly shows you know relievers don't last that long. They have shorter shelf lives. So you know we build that in already. So we know that even though. You can't count on them in future years. It, you can't count on the same production necessarily. There's still surplus there. It's still notable. Yeah. All right. Are we getting into the uh, the, the sad part now? Sad part. Oh, sad trombone. <laughs> <laughs> wonk, All wonk. right. You want
0: to start with the starting pitchers?
1: Uh, the starting pitchers. Um, okay. So I made the point that um, – when you sign a big contract and you're underperforming, the numbers can go south in a hurry because the models start to extrapolate. You think, and they're, oh, you're not as good as we thought you were going to be. We You signed a contract thinking best case scenario. That is true for Robbie Ray, who's down to negative 38. He was a little underwater, which means the, the Mariners overpaid for him to begin with, thinking, oh, he's on a new level. And he's just gone off to a terrible start. So he is he's fallen way down. Um, I, we talked about the C- Cleveland pitching machine. Um, sadly, a couple of their starters are off to slow starts. Um, Cal Quantrill, who was kind of a, kind of really came into his own in the second half of last year in particular, his value gone in tw- into the high teens and early twenties. He's down to 9.3. He's had an awful start. Um, Plesak, why am I blanking on X first name? I want to say Dan Plisak. Zach. Zach Plisak. Thank you. Zach Plisak is down to 11.9. Now, he just, you know, he has not been really all that good in the last couple of years. You know, he had a, he was off to a good start when he first came up, but then sort of floundered a little bit. Like, he's okay, but he's not an ace. He's sort of a middle-ish baby back end starter, and that's coming home to roost. So he's down to 11.9. Uh Back to the Mariners, Chris Flexen, who had that great year last year, has kind of come back to reality. He's down to 7.7. He was in the high teens. Um, uh,
0: I have a quick question on Cleveland before we before you move on. Yep. Um, so I was just looking at those two guys, Plesak and Quantrill, as well as Shane Bieber, who uh, you'll have to tell me if his value is significantly down, but mm. he's had some question marks this season. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys, yep. their fastballs are down at least a tick. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean... It could be a coincidence. It could be that one or two of them are hurt and the other one's just not clicking right now. It could be a philosophical thing within the organization. It could be they lost be the pitching coach to
1: San Diego. Hello. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but but it's it's curious yeah. that the Cleveland pitching machine that always mm-hmm. seemed to get the most out of their guys and now three of their most important guys, one of them who used to just be an ace among aces in Bieber, Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all down a tick, a tick and a half and, yep. and their performance is suffering because of it.
1: And Bieber's value has gone down a bit. He was in the hundreds and now he's in the I'll have to check, but yeah. It's, it's still he's still very valuable, but yeah, he's coming back down to reality a bit. Um yeah. Seventy nine point two. He was well into the hundreds and now he's down to seventy nine. Yeah. So um okay. Um and last but not least, two sort of aging veteran types, um who have had their days in the sun, seem like they're well into their decline phases now. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, who was sort of bouncing around into the single digits, like, you know, plus or minus, depending on the time. Uh clearly he he had one good start, but otherwise he's been kind of rough. Um down to negative point se- negative seven. He's still on a fixed contract, so you're seeing the effect of that. And Charlie Morton is on a one year deal, but he's had a rough year. He's he's down uh into negative value as well. Minus three point uh I'm sorry, minus seven point eight if my notes are correct. So in other words, he's not doing well and they're paying him a lot of money, so that's not good. So those are the uh the bad starters, unfortunately. Bad news starters yeah uh time for bad
0: news hitters it's not too much more exciting um very briefly mentioned brian reynolds earlier he's just having a rough start to the year his Mm. value hasn't tanked or anything just down a little bit and he's one of these guys that i'm the least worried about on this list i just wanted to mention him again uh the first big one and this is a big one is dylan carlson Mm. we had him at 90.2 and now he's down to 51.9 so still a lot of value there and the original reasoning for the value was that he's really young. So last year was his age 22 season, mm-hmm. and he put up 2.6 f war and it looked like, you know, he was kind of just a solid contributor across the board. He had some room to grow uh, to, to for his walk-and-strikeout rates to kind of catch up to his minor league numbers. There's some speed that he didn't quite show yet. There's some offense in the tank still, some room to grow defensively. It seemed like everything was looking up for him and it's just been a really rough sophomore season so far for him he's at 212 264 339 that's a 76 wrc plus negative 0.1 f4 and and the projections have taken a hit as well they kind of see him as a league average ish bat going forward. Mm-hmm. And he's still only 23. That's why he retained so much value. He still was a a good prospect. He's still kind of riding some of that prospect value.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but he's just not, he's looking more like an okay player than mm-hmm. a star, mm-hmm. than, than a four or five war guy mm-hmm. uh, long term. So definitely a pretty big hit there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um Carlos Correa not a huge hit here. I just wanted to mention him though because he has had a slow start to the year and he has historically had slow starts uh to his season so I wouldn't be super concerned or anything he's obviously on that weird uh that three year deal with opt outs after each one and so that consideration could come if if this slow start continues too far um but as of now he's excuse me as of now he's down to nine million uh from fifteen point two before mm-hmm. I'm not worried here. I, I think everything's fine and yeah. uh, everything will be okay there. He I mean, he's still an above average hitter, 109 WRC plus. It's just not quite up to his usual standards. All right. Next up is Bobby Dalbeck. I do not have his uh, previous value available to me here either, but I believe it was somewhere in the like 15 to 19 range. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. It,
1: which had slipped from his previous. He'd
0: been go, trending down for a while. Mm-hmm he's he was a top prospect Uh, not like a top top guy but he had some prospect helium and everyone kind of knew he would be like this that he would be pretty you know pretty uh high variance Uh, but i don't think anybody saw it coming to this extent where he just strikes out way too much and i mean he's even cut his strikeout rate pretty significantly i believe we talked about him in the last episode as well where his rookie year he struck out 42 percent of the time which is not good (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then last year he struck out 34.4 percent of the time this year 30.9 so he's cut that down a little bit but the power has just gone and so you wonder if this is the type of player that just can't survive in the current offensive environment because before he could get past the the high strikeout rates by just hitting the crap out of the ball you know just hit it hard enough that it goes over the fence and so every time you do hit it it's it's worth a lot more And, and so you can be a productive hitter still Right now he has one homer in almost 100 plate appearances, and that's not going to cut it with this profile. And it could just be a cold streak, but it could also be, it could be that he's cutting down on, like he's trying to be a more contact-oriented hitter, which just doesn't work for him. Or it could be that the ball just isn't going as far when he hits it, and there's not much he can do about that part of it. All right, next is Kevin Biggio. This is an important one. Uh, He's been kind of a trade candidate for a while. You you need to decouple the name from the player right now because Biggio was was looked at at one point as being one of the three guys you know with uh with Guriel and Bichette the three legacy guys the the sons Mm -hmm. of future big leaguers or former former big league stars uh he's just not on that level of those two he's really nowhere near them right now and and he hasn't gotten anything going again this year he's getting into his late 20s and so some of that upside is kind of wearing
1: off right now He's always had a good eye. Like he's got an on-base mm-hmm. percentage. Uh, I don't I haven't checked it, but at least you know he that was carrying him for a while. I don't know if it still is. Well, you you are
0: correct to say he has an on-base percentage <laughs> um, because he barely has a batting average. Okay. Uh, it's only twenty-eight plate appearances. He he's been used in a bit of a bench role, and he's had some injuries, and in, in, I believe right now he's rehabbing from an illness. I don't know if that's COVID-related. Okay. Um, but. His slash line right now is .043 .214 43 for a negative WRC+. The
1: walks are saving him yet again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean only 28 plate appearances, but it just looks like a limited profile here. Yeah. And he's a primary second baseman, which we've talked about before, is just Mm -hmm. the least valuable, one of the least valuable positions here. So he's down to 3.3. He was at 12 before, and it's been a pretty consistent decline. We had him in the 20s and in the 30s before that.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And so it's just not looking too good for him. And so when you're considering you know the, the trades that the Blue Jays might have to make going forward. Don't consider Kevin Biggio a centerpiece of anything too significant. Yeah. I mean, I mean maybe you see some appeal if you're the Nationals. You know, going back to that the Jim Bo- Jim Bowden Josh Bell trade idea, mm-hmm. you can maybe make something work there if the Nationals really want to buy low on a guy, and prioritize MLB talent over over prospects. Uh, but it's it's hard to see him being too significant a piece in any deal the way he's going right mm-hmm. now. All right, I just have a couple more. Salvador Perez talked about him a bit earlier. He's had a really slow start to the season, and then pair that with the contracts, with the age, all of that. He's down a negative
2: 44.8,
0: which is pretty significant. Um, I don't have his most recent value here, but it was much closer to... It was mo- much closer to even because he's coming off of such an impactful year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's way underwater. He's basically halfway underwater on his contract. He's owed $78.9 million going forward, and so you'd have to eat about half of that to move him for nothing.
2: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Eloy Jimenez, we talked about him before. He's dipped negative uh, even further now. He's down to negative 5.1. It's just a combination of the injuries and, and no defensive value and, and not enough bat to make up for it.
1: And the fixed contract.
0: And the fixed contract, correct, yeah uh last two here three here excuse me uh alex bregman he's getting into his his contract was backloaded and so he's getting into his more expensive years on the deal and coinciding with that his performance hasn't been as good as it was at the beginning of the deal so it's been a bit of a a backwards outcome for him and so he's just at 1.0 just barely above water he is actually hitting fairly well this season but the glove has taken a step back and there's injury concerns and he wasn't Great last season, so there's a lot of questions there in general, and, and like I said, he's getting more expensive now. So yeah,
1: so all the surplus value when he was younger and cheaper mm-hmm. has, has been eroded, and now we're looking at the older, more expensive version of Bregman. Not to say he's a bad player; he's just getting yeah. more of like fair value. Yeah, and not like he's a guy
0: that the Astros are champed at the bit to trade or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, but. All right, Cattell Marte. He's just <clears> a he took a little bit of a dip here. Um he signed the big extension. Uh, it looks like he went down from 27 to negative 14.3, which is pretty notable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, again, I think this is more of a, a slow start to the season, but it just kind of goes to show why he didn't get huge money. You know, he's he he's prone to stuff like this. He's not a. I don't I don't want to over speak here on based on you know a, a 33 game sample here, but he's he's not. He's not a massively impact player. I don't know if that's that's fair to say at all. Um, no, I th- think I it is at this is, point. Actually.
1: He's second base only. Yeah.
0: He's often <laughs> yeah, injured. Yeah. And, you know,
1: he's streaky. Mm-hmm.
0: And his second base defense this year has been kind of rough. And his walk and strikeout rates aren't what they usually are. At least his strikeout rate is, is a little higher than usual. So yeah. probably just an early season cold streak. But, yeah, there's there's a reason this guy didn't get quite the contract people wanted and the reason that the d-backs didn't trade him for quite the haul that some people expected
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then last one is paul DeYoung. as i mentioned he was optioned to AAA. he's at negative 0.7 million because again he's on a fixed contract um and previously he was at 4.5 so again it's just one of those where it's a continued decline yeah. over the last couple of years where his, his performance just has
1: been dipping and dipping and there's only so much the glove can do for him and there was a really good article in Fangrass. uh i can't remember who wrote it but uh I encourage everyone to look at it if you're interested. Uh but he basically just can't hit the off speed. You know, he used to, he, he, he he was getting by earlier and and it would just by hitting it enough, but he was a fastball hitter and then when pitchers realized, Oh, I can just throw him off speed, the more they did that, the more he struck out and or hit pop ups or whatever and so it's just been a steadily decline of I can't hit the I can't hit the off speed, I can't hit the off speed. And so they've they've you know, major league pitchers take advantage of that. Yeah.
0: All right, John, tell me about bad relievers. Oh, my God. Right
1: so it's a sad story. Um, the saddest one of all is Paul Fry, who I was a big fan of. I had him on my fantasy team, and he had, like, mid middle of last year, a lot of int- interest from from buyers at the deadline. And he was in uh, I think, at 15 and then he just lost it second half of the year. He was terrible. I don't know what happened. I should look into it more. He lost it to the point where they optioned him down after the deadline. And then he still doesn't have it this year to the point where they just dfa him. His went, value went all the way down. Relievers are vulnerable. His value is down to 1.6. I'm sure somebody is going to either claim him or give a little something and trade for him because he used to be really good. Left-handed reliever. Um, you know still had some interesting sort of um peripherals but man has he fallen down um so that's a sad story um anthony bender of the marlins was a really big breakout story last year to the point where his value had been up to 18 he's off to a terrible start so it's gone down to 12.6 um Phil Maton of the Astros. He was in that trade at the deadline last year, um, where Cleveland traded him for Miles Straw. Miles Straw has done pretty well. Phil Maton was really reliable for the Astros down the stretch in the playoffs, and and I I don't know want to say they overused him, but he's really off to a terrible start to the point where he his value has gone negative down to minus zero point five, and a couple of veterans who are just not performing. Jake Deakman, um has a has a contract with the red sox he's not been great he's down to minus 1.9 and brian shaw who has been uh, terrible for a while i don't know why cleveland re-signed him but he's at min- minus 3.5 so those guys are looking kind of done gotcha uh
0: i i misspoke earlier i said let's get out of here after that but you have a short list of
1: yeah hot prospects i just want to well correct? i mover prospects a couple of a mm-hmm. couple of Movers up and one notable down. Uh, the big gotcha. mover up is Mackenzie Gore, who I could have talked about him in the starting pitchers, um, He's a tweener, he's a sort of a post-prospect now that he's finally made his major league debut. And the more he settles in, the more the better he looks. Like we saw him in spring training and he looked like a different pitcher. Again, I don't know if it was the new pitching coach, but they fixed him. He was totally broken, as you'll recall. His value had gone from 70s all the way to, he kept declining, and the more he was terrible in, in the minors and they sent him down to A Well, they had re- they had all kinds of problems to fix. And his value has gone all the way down to nine. He was in danger of falling off top 100 lists. And whatever they did, it worked because he's looked like a different pitcher this year. We noticed it in spring training. you know, His value started to creep up because it was kind of a binary thing. Either he's fixed or he's not fixed. He looked fixed. And as soon as they brought him up and he started games, he definitely looks fixed. So he started moving up top 100 lists and also combined with the fact that he's now in the major league side. We're starting to incorporate those projections, and he's taking—he's now up to 28 Probably if the if the Padres wanted to trade him, uh, you know, I'm going to trust the model here, but he's probably worth even more than that. The more you see him fixed. So good for him. Um, another big riser on the pitching side is Daniel Espino of the Cleveland Guardians, who we've had some Cleveland fans on our site say, hey, he should be worth a lot more. Well, well yes, he, he you know, the prospect evaluators that we we trust did notice that Long and Hagen had a huge piece on him and then Baseball America. Really bumped him up significantly in their top 100, so he's up into the high 40s. Had a little bit of a leg issue, a small injury issue, which which held him back, but he would have been in the 50s otherwise. But he's in the high 40s. Uh, Kobe Mayo of the Orioles. A lot of people were fans of his. He had some helium. He, you know, a lot of people thought he should be in the top 100 lists, and he's off to a good start again this year. So he's probably going to be creeping into some lists. So he's up to I think 19, 17 or 19, somewhere in the high teens. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is drew Waters, who used to be in the forties, is down to ten. uh he's just not hitting the more he's sort of seen better pitching at the higher levels, the worse he's looked. He's also had some injury issues, and so he's not the type of prospect that Braves would use in a in a big package if they needed to. Somebody might take a shot at him, but he's not he's he's lost a lot of value, so his stock has dropped so those four are the big movers. Gotcha nothing from me on that okay.
0: All right. Anything else you want to hit in this
1: episode? Um, no, I think we're good. I think just looking ahead, um, we're going to be doing updates um, on a monthly basis. So the next big one will be early June. So we did kind of the one-sixth of the season, basically one month into the season. So the next one will be one-third. So two months into the six-month season. Uh, and again, in early July. And then I think we should we'll do one in between... Or as close as we can to the deadline, right around the third week of July, as we get closer and closer, you know, we'll sort of, instead of doing it, you know, because if we did it at a month, it would be too late. So we'll do like an express version of one in like the third week of July to get as close as possible to the deadline before the action really kicks in. So look for those updates uh, as we go.
0: Yep, sounds good. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Baseball Values. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. so You don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.